0: Hello, hello, warriors, witches, and weirdos. Welcome back to my heathen hearth. I'm your host, Ryder, and this is Shield Maiden Podcast. Blessed Samhain, everyone. It is the witches' New Year. Happy witches' New Year. The wheel turns again on this day. And in this episode, we are, of course, going to be getting into all things Samhain. The origins, how to celebrate The myths, the stories, some spooky stuff. But first, let's get into our two-card tarot pull. I will be reading from the Murder of Crows tarot today. And our first card is the Four of Wands. This is indicative of people coming together to celebrate. It signifies uh, coming home and having reunions, which is very appropriate for the season. Hopefully you were able to have your own celebration today or this week, perhaps. I actually celebrated a little bit with my coven. What was it? Back on the 16th. I think that was two weeks ago. Uh, Because one of my coven mates, shout out Abby, is having her first child due on Halloween. By the time this comes out, she might even be here, hopefully. Um, so we celebrated a Tad early with a little snacking, and we did a really beautiful graveyard ritual to honor the dead and, you know, help lost souls find peace as well as to bless our friend's upcoming birth. And how fucking cool is that? Like a witchling born into a coven on Hallow's Eve. It's incredible. and And we're incredibly excited, too, to support her transitioning into her motherhood journey. It's really been such an honor to share in that with her and and be part of her village. So yeah, we celebrate as a coven a little early, but I'll also be celebrating with my family this evening, Uh, maybe like with a little deity work, ancestor veneration, uh, maybe a little spell work. I don't know. We'll see how the night goes. So our second tarot poll is... The two of fucking pentacles. Oh my God. This is like this. St- <laughs> this is got to be the 12th time this month that I have pulled this card across like three different decks, you guys. I feel like I'm being hollered at. I feel like I'm being screamed at to return to my practice. I get it. Because, okay, the Two of Pentacles is all about balance, right? It's trying to find balance in the ups and downs and trying to adapt and be flexible. And this really hits home because I am constantly struggling to find balance with my own energy. We know this. Um, I try to give equal time to my momming responsibilities and taking care of my home and my family, but also taking care of myself and my creative endeavors and my practice. And I've just been getting really caught up you know, in projects and events. And I've been really enjoying, you know, the changing of the seasons and being around my friends and my family. Um, So I just, I feel like I'm being called the fuck out right now to find balance and get it together. And I get it. Okay. I get it. Spirit guides. I'm a lazy Taurus. I'm working on it. Ugh. And this time of year, I feel like we're all looking for balance though, right? I mean, balance in our lives and our practices, but also balance between this world and the next. Because the veil is thin during this season. You know, that's what they say, the veil is thin. I mean, the veil is always thin because it's a veil, but the lines are being blurred between dimensions, I think. And at this time, we as practitioners or readers, mediums, psychics, empaths, witches, whatever you call yourself. If you're a practitioner, you really feel the pull of that energy right now. You can feel that the magic just kind of hangs thick in the air. And it's such a beautiful time to be a witch. I know I say it literally all the time, but it's so true. So let's get down to it. We're going to start off talking about the origin. So Sawin, pronounced Sa-win, it looks like Samhain, but it's pronounced Sawin. And I will admit that when I first started practicing, I definitely said Sam Hain for probably the first year and a half of my practice. I, actually, honestly, all the way up until I joined a local, not, not a coven, but like a local uh, witches and pagans group online. It was through Facebook. Um, so we connected and started planning like an in-person meetup that happened to be around the time of Samhain and so I volunteered to be in this, be in this planning committee and during the first video call meeting uh, I really quickly realized that I was pronouncing it wrong and they were looking at me like I was stupid so there's no shame in that if you've only ever read a word and you've never heard it out loud it is always good to look up the actual pronunciation if you can or ask someone um you yeah, there's no stup- stupid questions just stupid people I'm just kidding, (laughs) but I'm likely about to butcher so many Gaelic words. It's fine. I'm, I'm sorry in advance, ancestors. I apologize. So Samhain, or Summer's End, is a pagan holiday. It's a religious festival from the Celtic tradition. On the wheel of the year, it is halfway between the autumn equinox and the winter solstice. And the word Samhain is a Gaelic word. It's usually celebrated from October 31st until November 1st. And it's to sort of celebrate the harvest. It's to usher in the darker half of the year. And just celebrate like the end of all the hard work that was done in this long harvest season. You know, they were like, we've been busting our asses bringing in all this wheat and potatoes and shit. Let's have a fucking drink. Let's relax. Let's enjoy the fruits of our labor. It also marks the Celtic New Year. Um, As it is the end of summer and the end of harvest season, it signaled the start of winter. And so they were like, let's uh, buckle down, let's hunker down for the winter. And it also is associated with death. Um, It's believed by the Celtic people and among many other practitioners and pantheons, that the energetic veil, again, between the living and the dead is especially thin, and so spirits and ancestors and any other entity that had moved on could at this time sort of come back and move among the living. A little spooky. Um, So it started with the druids. Let's talk a little bit about the druids. The the druids were a type of high-ranking religious leader, Um, and they were pretty fucking cool, I'm not gonna lie. Um, They were not just figureheads, like a priest or something, they were very involved in the community. They were teachers and scholars and scientists, and they were extremely well-respected by everybody. They were legal authorities, medical professionals, sometimes political advisors, you name it. I mean, they were just a collection of really, really smart, really fucking cool people. Now, the Druids themselves actually come from way back in, like, uh, 3rd century BCE, that could be iffy, don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure it was third century. Um, they've been around for like a hot minute, and there are many practicing druids still surviving today, but you, we'll, we'll get there. So the interesting thing about them is that while they were perfectly literate, they left zero written account of their own practices. There's there's no real account of how they practiced. There's nothing about their how they held rituals or religious celebrations or ceremonies and whatnot. There's... Nothing, um, the only information that we actually have is passed down some orally through generations of families surviving and and lore, and then some or if and our best accounts actually of the druids are recorded from medieval Irish monks. They recorded an extensive history and mythology, and I like to imagine that they kind of just saw what the druids were doing, and they were like, holy shit, we gotta write this shit down. Like, grab, grab a fucking quill, no one's gonna believe this. And of course, I mean, that wasn't it, but man, I would, that'd be something to see how that exchange went down. So even though they had this expertise that ranged across so many disciplines, medicine, creative arts, uh, law, we actually don't have many, uh, if any, first-hand accounts. So their legacy really is shrouded in a lot of mysticism. But wait, there's more. There's also a pretty comprehensive account of the Druids that comes from the writings of none other than Julius motherfucking Caesar. And he in great detail described the Druids that he encountered while acting as governor of the Roman province. He described their power structures and their ritual sacrifices and some of their beliefs. Although, I mean, it is... It's fucking Caesar, right? So we gotta take his word with a grain of salt because it's not entirely a reliable source, but it is really fascinating to be able to read this like secondhand account of someone who lived at the same time as the mysterious druids. Now the word druid is thought to have meant oak knower or oak seer in the old Celtic languages. It's really clear that trees were of huge value to them, just huge importance. For the Irish Druids particularly, the oak tree was seen as a symbol of spirituality and power. And the oak trees were thought to have maybe been places of performing rituals and having these magical properties. And honestly, personally, as a green witch and as a self-identified dendrophile, I can attest to that I love a good oak tree. They are fucking magical. So totally get that. And another alleged... Custom of the Druids, which was written about by Julius Caesar. So again, take it with a grain of salt. He detailed the human sacrifices that they allegedly made. In his notes, he accounts that victims of sacrifice were most often criminals who had been guilty of very serious offenses, which like, okay, I mean, I see. I'm, I'm not saying I'm going to go start sacrificing people. But if you're going to sacrifice someone, I mean, you might as well be a shitty person, right? So like, I get it. Sorry, but I get it. But they offered these human sacrifices, supposedly, to appease the Celtic gods. And this is where it gets kind of gory. Sorry, trigger warning. Um, According to the Romans, some sacrifice victims were hung, some were burned, and some were possibly even subject to a sort of ritualistic torment. Now there is theories to back up These sort of events, Um, there were these bodies found in an Iron Age bog in Ireland that were thought to have been part of these ritual killings. Now, this is a really good time to note here that, of course, not everyone agrees with the interpretation of these bog bodies. We can't tell to what extent the writings of the Romans were propaganda and what was truth. I imagine most of it was like a political tool bullshit. It very well could have been untrue. So do with that information what you will. Moving right along, something I found particularly fucking awesome is that the Celtic society was really unusual compared to their other civilizations at the time, such as the Romans and the Greeks, in that women were seen as mostly equals to men. There were very few uh, distinctions made between the sexes in the Celtic communities. Female druids were known as, and I'm going to butcher this word, Bandruai. Bandrui, maybe? Um, And they held the same importance as their male counterparts in all things cultural and religious. Um, So shout out to the Druids for doing the damn thing before feminism even existed. The quote-unquote end of the Druids and their pagan traditions began when Christianity, of course, arrived in Ireland. For a while, the two religions kind of coexisted there but eventually the druids were marginalized and then it became very frowned upon and they became a very very small aspect of Irish culture and unfortunately as with a lot of pagan traditions many were sort of appropriated into Christian customs to make them more palatable I guess to the native people so they were kind of like hey so you guys are getting kind of wild and freaky over there and it's a little scary, so why don't you come over here to Christianity and do the same things, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, but, like, just do it in the name of the Christian God, eh? Huh? <laughs> and so that's how they were likely co-horsed cohorsed, or Trojan-horsed, I should say, really, into Christianity. And then, of course... With the coming of Christianity and a male, male deity-centric religion, women lost a lot of their equal status in society and were prohibited from being leaders in their community. Of fucking course, right? We, we can never have anything. But in recent years, following the Celtic revival of, I believe it was the 18th or 19th centuries, uh, the Druids and their beliefs and customs... They experienced a huge resurgence among the general public. People sought to sort of move away from the Abrahamic religions and reconnect with nature and return to their more organic and indigenous spirituality. Okay, so what about Samhain specifically? The first mention of Samhain in Irish literature comes from the 9th century, but it actually dates back to like way, way beyond that. They had these huge gatherings with feasts and ales and dancing and fire, and they would open up these ancient burial mounds because they were seen as portals to other worlds where the ancestors and spirits could awaken and move freely among the living. And there were many obscure traditions they practiced for Samhain, um, but some of them actually sound a little familiar. My personal favorite was the carving of neap lanterns. That's N-E-A-P the communities would light these huge bonfires, right? These huge bonfires that would keep the evil spirits at bay. And the Scottish people specifically would carve scary faces into these neeps, which neeps are just turnips. Um, and it created these lanterns that would sort of scare the ghouls that would, might be wandering during the quote unquote, witching hour. When the Celtic people came to America, they found a lot less turnips and a lot more pumpkins. And so it's a lot more common to to obviously now see pumpkins being carved into jack-o'-lanterns rather than the turnips or neeps being carved into lanterns. And considerably easier too, I imagine, because I feel like turnips are really small and probably hard to carve. Bobbing for apples is another Celtic tradition that's come for Halloween parties. It's like a Halloween party favorite, right? At least it was, like, in, like, the 90s and early 2000s. I remember definitely doing this at Halloween parties. Although the Celts did do it a little differently. They would use tactics, like holding a blade or a fork between their teeth and attempting to sort of, like, spear the apples in a bucket, right? So, now, apples do have, like, a a relevance two pagan practices, they're known for their healing properties, they're associated with the harvest and luck, but more so at Mabin than Samhain. And so I can't really find any sort of spiritual reason for this bobbing for apples. By the way, they called it apple duncan, D-O-O-N-K, duncan. Like I said, I can't find any real significance (laughs) for this apple duncan, other than it probably looks really fucking funny. Like, I like to imagine, at some point, maybe they just, they got a little too drunk and had the apples in a bucket, maybe filled with rainwater or something, and they were like, take this knife and put it in your mouth and try to stab it, it'll be really funny. (laughs) And it probably was, it was probably hilarious, and it still is, so that is, yeah, apple dunking. A practice that was common among betrothed couples was called nut burning, which involved, as its name says, each person putting a nut into the fire. And if the nut burned quietly, then the union would be like a happy, peaceful marriage. However, if the nut hissed and cracked and spit, then it would be a very turbulent future together. And I don't know about you, but I am totally about to adopt that as a divination method. Nut burning. Love it. Another tradition that was favorable among single pagans was kale pulling. Yup, kale. Not just a popular snack for white women, my friends. The kale stalks were used to predict your romantic future. So after dark, you would go out into a a kale field and close your eyes, and you would pull a stalk from the ground, and the length of the root of the stalk would represent your future lover's physique, like their height or their figure. And so men, and, and, and perhaps women too, would just be clamoring to get that nice voluptuous round root, right? And additionally, the amount of soil around the roots represented wealth. So you wanted like a nice hefty, uh plump, dirty root. Now that visual just absolutely cracks me up because for some reason in my mind, I picture like the mandrake root babies from Harry Potter, like the little goofy crying faces. And then also just the thought of like a bunch of drunk Celtic men just drawing comparisons between like thick roots and thick women. Like it's just fucking great. And lastly, they did something called guising, like disguising. The Celtic children would don costumes and scary masks and run around pretending to be malicious spirits. So they would go like, they'd go a guising in the streets. Sound familiar? Uh, This is also really funny to me, like, while all the parents and elders are, like, just getting wasted on ciders and stabbing apples with their teeth and, like, setting shit on fire, and the children are just, like, left to wander the streets, like, at the mercy of the fae or whoever, whatever spirits had crossed the veil. Like, it's just such a great visual. Um, And it, it was believed that by disguising themselves, they would blend in with any wandering spirits, and so they would remain safe. So I guess they got that going for them. And this is the best part. So the the adults are getting wasted, right? The Adults are getting wasted. The kids are running around like little ghouls and ghosts and shit. And after doing tricks or performing songs, the geysers, the little ghoul kids, they would be given gifts to help ward off evil. L- they would be given warding gifts, guys. Like w- this makes me so mad as a parent, as a as a Halloween trick or treating candy provider. That the the, the like entitled little ankle biters nowadays just, they show up at my door in like a superhero cape and I have to give them candy. But Celtic children, back in the day, they're doing tricks and performing songs? Like, what? Like, okay, from now on, I say from now on, the little shits, they knock, they say trick or treat. I'm gonna be like, do a backflip first. Do a flip. Hit me with some fucking Post Malone, okay? Serenade me. Hit me with some Fleetwood Mac and I'll give you a Kit Kat. I mean, and also, why are we giving them candy? That's not going to ward off shit, a Kit Kat. I'm going to start giving out warding gifts. I'm going to start giving, like, pentacle charms and and bridged crosses or something. Fucking hell. So that brings us forward to today and modern witchcraft. There are many, many ways you can celebrate Samhain. No kale needed. And honoring ancestors is very common. Obviously, you can celebrate with creating an ancestral altar. And on this altar, you can put photos of friends, families, even pets that have moved on. I have my beloved dog Harley's ashes on my ancestral altar right next to a photo of my late grandfather. You can light candles and give offerings, uh, maybe their favorite food or drink, or maybe some flowers. You could also put jewelry or money, um, whatever makes you feel connected. My ancestors are Puerto Rican, so um, I put like some yellow rice and some adobo on there. Um, I think last year I put like a cigar and some rum. Easy peasy, they love it. You can also honor your ancestors through a devotional act of some kind, maybe baking or cooking a dish with like a cultural relevance, or reading up on your history or or crafting maybe you do like embroidery or knitting or something whatever makes you feel connected um draw them a picture make art in their honor you could play some music for them dance with them you could um you could also do something you know a little bit more low energy like a dumb supper Um, A dumb supper is when you have a meal in silence and you leave a chair and a plate for your ancestors or for a deity if you're choosing to honor a deity. Um, All of these things could be done to honor a deity too, of course. It's all up to you and what your personal practice is. Or another thing you could do sort of low energy is having just a cup of tea and sitting mindfully, meditating or praying. Um... This is also a really great time to work on divination, any type of divination method. Try and connect with your spirits or your guides. But mostly I'd say it's best to, at the very least, mentally prepare and ready yourself for this darker half of the year. Maybe decluttering or cleaning, maybe cleansing your sacred space or tidying your altars and just really getting your nest nice and cozy for the colder season. Maybe pick up some extra candles, you know, a nice scented candle or blanket or, you know, pull out your nice familiar hoodie or warm socks or something and just, you know, really embrace the moment. It's also a great time to make like a really nice root vegetable dish, like a nice stew or a hearty soup. This is such a fun time of year, even outside of witchcraft. We get to do all the really fun, exciting stuff now through, you know, December before the winter, the deep winter really sets in and so does... Unfortunately, sometimes the seasonal depression or seasonal affective disorder. So now's a really good time to sort of gradually slow down and take it all in. Um, You know, don't neglect to prepare your mental health as well as your home. Go move your body and get some fresh air and maybe take a hike. Watch the leaves turn. Take a deep breath and ground yourself. Maybe do a little barefooting before it gets too cold. Because we can mix mundane and magical. I'm always a huge advocate for that. Just because Samhain has been sort of bastardized into mainstream Halloween does not mean that you cannot enjoy both, separately or together. In my house, we celebrate Samhain and enjoy Halloween. That's one of the great things about modern witchcraft, is that your practice is your own. It's yours. It can be however you want it to be. It can look however you want it to look. And you can pick and choose how it looks. If you decide this is not for you, you want to sit this one out, that's great too. I wish I could say that my plans were something like really magical and and grandiose, but to be honest, I'm, it's probably going to be a little more low-key. I'll probably just like light some candles and, and do a few incantations and maybe pull some tarot. It depends how much energy I have after... After my kids' sugar crash. I am a parent, and so sometimes it's hard to muster the energy for big spell work after bedtime. I love Halloween, too, though. I do. Apart from my practice, apart from Samhain, I love Halloween. Halloween year-round. I love dressing up. I'll be dressing up. My kids will be in their costumes. I think they're doing uh, Paw Patrol and Spider-Man. And I will likely dress as a witch. Obviously, too easy. I You know, I already have the closet for it. So I just kind of pull something out and throw it on with a pointy hat. Easy day. So that'll be my evening. And we'll do the whole nine. We're going to do the creepy lights and the cobwebs and decorations. We got the jack-o'-lanterns and the candy corn. And if you don't like candy corn, shut the fuck up. You are wrong. And you sound silly. And to be honest, um, I'll probably steal some of my kids' candy and smoke some schmied and pass out on the couch with my husband. Probably watching Haunted Mansion or something. What a night. I hope you learned a little something new. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts about Samhain or your Halloween traditions. You can find me on TikTok and Instagram at Silver Shield Maiden or email me at shieldmaidenpod at gmail.com. In episode five, we're going to be kicking off the Witch's New Year talking about supporting your partner spiritually. With our first guest, my super wonderful, handsome husband, James, has agreed to come on and talk a little bit about that. So stay tuned. Blessed Samhain and happy Halloween, everyone. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time. Bye.